Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Lozen. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years It is Thanksgiving weekend. We, in fact, hope you already had a wonderful Thanksgiving and are treating yourselves to some retail therapy on this lovely Black Friday. Maybe you're indulging in some leftovers. Leftovers on Thanksgiving weekend always satisfy me. Andy, which side dish during Thanksgiving most satisfies you? I feel like my preferred side is maybe not the conventional preferred side. I I feel like there are people on both... um, Pardon the pun on both sides of this issue. I favor the the green bean and mushroom uh, casserole. I am from the casserole generation. I suppose I'm a very old person, right? <laughs> With that sort of mystery crust on top that I don't know what's in it, but there's some onions involved, and I don't know what else. Um, I don't like. I don't like almost any of the components of it by themselves. Huh. Um, but you put it all together and it's Thanksgiving and it's that kind of weird texture that you only experience with um, uh, casseroles in the heart of America. Right. And I lay, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I will eat it for days. What a way to avoid being labeled a coastal elite, by the way. I don't believe you for a damn second. <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to say it. <laughs> Obviously that is not the preferred side dish of a coastal elite like yourself. I'm <laughs> sure, I'm sure this is very much a, a heartland, uh, thing here in the part of the country where salads have jello and marshmallows and those little weird orange slices. Uh, true story. I love me a jello ring. So don't, Throw any, <laughs> throw any coastal elite jabs my way. Very, very good. Uh, though you are correct, green bean casserole is trash. So is pumpkin pie. That's for a whole nother episode. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, we hope whatever yums you are having, we will not yuck them, and we will encourage you to continue to enjoy them. Full disclosure, as Andy just disclosed, having a favorite trash side dish. Um, I should tell you that Andy and I are taping this on Tuesday before Thanksgiving, so we have yet to be satisfied by these amazing sides. All of the news and notes, additionally, that we usually have on Fridays, who's practicing, who's not, we don't have that. And we don't have that today because it's not available quite yet. Instead, we will be giving you a thankful preview of the show. We'll go through each matchup and talk about the elements we are most thankful for. And so if your favorite player does get, let's see, maybe frostbite while camping out in front of a Best Buy trying to pick up a PS5 this week, we know that you guys will find out about it. We trust you to be intense fantasy managers, and we know that you will make the roster adjustments necessary accordingly. All right, so 
None of that today. Just thankful theme. Very on brand. Sunday early game starting off with Tennessee at Indianapolis. Andy, what are you most thankful for here? Um, well, the easy answer would be Derrick Henry, who I have in a, a couple of leagues, who is absolutely carrying any team that has him. But I'm not going to go with Derrick Henry here. I will, in fact, say um, I'm I am happy for the fact that Jonathan Taylor and anybody who's invested in him finally got a little bit of a payoff. You're probably headed for the consolation bracket anyway, right? Like maybe he's not going to actually help you in the fantasy playoffs. But man, um, Taylor... And look, the the indie backfield swings every week. Um, they roll them all out there in the first quarter, and they see who gets going, and then they they go with that guy. And this past week, it was Taylor. He sees twenty carries. He makes the most of it. Um, Ninety yards. It picked up four receptions, which was a skill that we didn't even know he had at Wisconsin. So it was great to see. It was great to see. He played over fifty percent of the snaps, which you w- you wouldn't think that would be remarkable for a player with his draft pedigree. Um, coming into the season, but for him to play over 50% of the snaps was kind of a thing. It was good to see. I think he can keep it going against Tennessee because this has been a great matchup. They are a bottom third run defense. They give up over 120 rushing yards per week. So it's a good spot if he can just retain that role. Naheem Hines still continued to get some red zone opportunities, though. I think he should have had one there. So we can't completely fade him just yet. Um, That's a great call. I want to talk about um, Michael Pittman. Surprise, surprise. I loved this player. This is someone with a a similarly high, not equally high, but similarly high, a draft pedigree as Jonathan Taylor. And it's nice to see these rookies doing the thing that we wanted them to do at the top of the season. The Pittman breakout actually happened two weeks ago at Tennessee. So the opponent, again, in this matchup, he caught... 7 of 8 for over 100 yards. Last week, he followed that up, not with volume, only three catches on three targets. By the way, that's part of the reason we love him. One of the things about him coming out of college was his reliability, his productivity, his hands, Philip Rivers' needs, all of these things. We're seeing that he's only he's only missed <laughs> on one target over the past two weeks, right? He's also got plenty of yards after the catch. That's what actually got him into the end zone last week. He's efficient. He's versatile. I think he's a top 30 play, maybe top 25 play, depending on how many apple cider mimosas I've downed when tweaking my rankings <laughs> ahead of the games. But you got to love him heading into week 12 again, especially versus this team that provided him with the breakout that he enjoyed two weeks ago. All right, let's move on to the Chargers at Buffalo. Andy, tell me about this backfield and why it's making you grateful. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those games where um, you, you just start your stars, right? Like we're going to be starting almost everybody from this game. I am. Um, I continue to be almost irrationally interested in the Buffalo backfield, which is a ridiculous thing to care about because Josh Allen is the goal line back anyway. So like who should care? Um, I don't know that I'm going to end up being totally right about Zach Moss this year, but I know I'm not going to be totally wrong mm-hmm. um, because he has basically played Devin Singletary onto the discard pile in fantasy leagues, right? Like he's a, he's a straight up drop. I think in most leagues that are like 10 or 12 teams, Zach Moss is out snapping him. He's out touching him, not by a ton, but by enough. He's got three touchdowns in his last three games again, which is hard with Josh Allen taking all these uh, scores in goal to go situations. Um, He's just, he's a skilled receiver. He at least has a role when they get inside the 10 yard line, which is more than I can say for Singletary lately. So I'm interested to see what he can do against a Chargers defense that hasn't been exactly rock solid against, uh, against the run. They give up about four and a half yards per carry. So it's a good spot. If he can just get 10 to 15 touches, I think Zach Moss can do a little something. 
interesting to see that flip-flop occurring over the last few weeks where we're now ranking Moss ahead of Singletary. And as you said, yeah. in a, a league that is maybe not too deep, Singletary becomes a drop option. I had the same note, frankly, as you did. This is a start your guys game. I mean, the over under right now is set at 53 and a half per bet MGM. Obviously, that's early, but you're going to start everybody. I mean, the Keenan Allen Stefan Diggs showdown, I am here for it. Allen seeing yeah. um, 11.2 targets per game. He's number one in terms of volume. Right behind him at 10.2 targets per game on average is Diggs. So we love this one. Um, I also want to say just like sneakily, we're always looking for tight ends to stream because the position is such trash. We're all having frustrations with it because this is such a start your guys matchup. I think you might want to like one of these tight ends, either Croft or Knox. Now, remember, Croft has been activated off of the COVID IR list. Um, one of these tight ends is going to score. I'm going to give the advantage to yeah. Dawson Knox, who I think is a better player. He missed a lot of the season uh, because of a calf injury. Um, but when he did return in week 10 at Arizona, he saw 78 percent of the, I'm sorry, 70 percent of the snaps. He ran 28 routes again. Do I love it? No. Am I throwing a dart? Sure. Am I going to rank him inside my top 20? Yes. So there you have it. And also, if you do use Croft this week, that's all you're going to get him for because next week he's got San Francisco and then Pittsburgh the week after that. So this is a one and done situation. <laughs> uh, Vegas at Atlanta. Talk to me about um, <laughs> talk to me about everybody's favorite receiver who does still drop balls and probably not babies, though. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think we're both going to talk about elements of the Vegas passing game, right? Um, Derek Carr looked awesome yes. against the Chiefs. He looked he looked better than his receivers, I will say. Um, but Nelson Aguilar had a pretty good day, and uh, I've got a few shares there. I am super interested in him this week. It's Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta's been giving up about 300 passing yards per game. Aguilar's coming off a nine-target game. He didn't catch them all. Um I, like, I don't even know if some of the balls that he didn't catch are actually going to go down as drops, but they were plays that he could make. And Derek Carr was just putting the ball on his hands. Um, Carr was Carr was just fantastic. Can't say enough good things about him. But Aguilar with volume in this offense against Atlanta is basically a can't miss player. Um, he has a couple of high target games over the last four weeks or so. And then remember, we have to throw out that game against Cleveland because there were like 60, 70 mile an hour wins. Yeah. So forget about that. Like. He's been as consistent as Nelson Aguilar is ever going to be something close to their number one receiver outside of Darren Waller. So I'm, I'm excited to deploy him here. I, I, I love this take. I am a t I, mine is the quarterback that you mentioned attached to Nelson Aguilar and man had Nelson Aguilar caught one of those balls. They, then, then Vegas would have been able to beat the chiefs. I think in both of their meetings, um, yeah. Here's the thing. Here are things about Carr that we know that we maybe aren't surprised by. And if you didn't watch last week's game, we'll fire it up on Game Pass because it is a dazzling um, set of entertainment for your eyes. But if I said to you, Andy, here are things about Derek Carr: uh, touchdown to interception ratio of nineteen to three. You would say, okay, right? Like I got that. Top five in completion percentage. You'd be probably not entirely surprised, and you'd probably justify it because, well, he's super careful. Right, he's this manager who's not pushing the ball down deep, and so it's eight. You're able to inflate some of these statistics with that style of play. But as we saw last Sunday, he is in fact willing to push the ball deep, and even to Nelson Aguilar, not Henry Ruggs necessarily, the rookie that we expected would fill this outside role, this 
take the top off the defense sort of role in for the Raiders. Um, but <laughs> also we know, as we've seen from the previous few matchups, that Vegas does want to lean on the run and Josh Jacobs, who is a bona fide stud, when they can. So we now know that Derek Carr, this is like a balanced offense in Las Vegas. Yeah. This is a fantastically <laughs> fun thing to see. This is what good teams are made of. Good teams are Libran in their offensive makeup. And I am loving that. But now we can sort of look at Derek Carr and say, huh, when do we think he's going to have those big games? Well, we're going to look at the matchup and we're going to look at the lines coming out of Vegas. And this one, as you mentioned, against the Falcons is an opportunity for Carr to continue to banish the haters and rebrand himself along with this team that has moved cities. I clearly am more wound up about it than I even thought I would be. The Falcons are allowing <laughs> the most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks over 300 passing yards per game. Meanwhile, and this part is key. Their run-stopping unit has only given up four rushing scores on the season. The way to attack Atlanta is through the air. Derek Carr is going to have no other opportunity uh, than to put the ball in the air and show us what he can do with his arm. Yep. Love it. Absolutely on board. Um, he's pretty cheap as quarterbacks go in our in our daily game as well. He's less than 30 bucks. He's a top 10 option in week 12. Um, let's talk about a, a quarterback who's not being encouraged to throw the ball and who <laughs> apparently lives in... You know, I always thought that tornadoes were a thing for Kansas, but apparently Cleveland is the place that has all the right. bad weather. Uh, Cleveland at Jacksonville, take it away. That like The thing that I am most thankful for here is that we are finally, I think, going to get a look at what the Browns offense is supposed to look like <laughs> in the post Beckham world. Like we had like that injury happened forever ago. I think it happened in October. Right. And every game that Cleveland has played, apparently I like, I don't know my Cleveland weather. I don't track my Lake Erie storm systems as carefully as maybe some others or other fan fantasy analysts uh, have done. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it appears that it's just been a cold weather monsoon in Cleveland for the last month. Cause that's all they play in. They play in howling winds and driving rain. And we're finally going to get a game I think in Jacksonville with, I assume it's going to be 70 some degrees. Maybe we'll have rain, but it ain't going to be like it's been in Cleveland over the last month. Um, and that's exciting because we have no idea still what to expect from this receiving core. Surely the plan, maybe it is, maybe the plan is just let's run the ball um, 40 times a game and minimize Baker Mayfield. And he only throws 18 or 20 times, but I doubt it. I think they probably want to be a little bit more balanced than that. They have to know that they're not going to win games in the postseason in the AFC with exactly that game plan, not against the not against the Steelers, not against the Chiefs. Like you're going to have to throw someday. Um, we still have no idea where those targets are going to go because they haven't played in a game that allowed it. Um, and, and hopefully they're finally going to to do that. They have kind of a sparring partner of an opponent here in Jacksonville. They haven't been good against the run or the pass. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it should be a good spot for for Cleveland's run game. We know that. But if if Baker can just put the ball in the air 30 times, maybe we'll have an idea of where the targets are going to go. So that's the test, right? Like that's the over under how many pass attempts um, will be allowed here. For Baker Mayfield, I think 30 is a good line. That's something to monitor. Yeah, like I still I still think Higgins can be a thing. I still think that some of the guys we were excited about like a month ago, five weeks ago can still be a thing. They just haven't had literally they haven't had the weather conditions in which to, to prove it. And you're right about the matchup. It is interesting, though, because if Kevin Stavansky doesn't want to try out Baker Mayfield's arm, if he wants to stay conservative in this matchup against Jacksonville, he can. And that is why I want to talk about Nick Chubb, who I am very thankful for. I am 
I I don't understand why, but I feel like there is this um, distrust for Nick Chubb. And I don't know if it's because of the injuries back in college or just the lack of belief that he can continue to be one of the best damn rushers in the NFL or if it's fluky. But we've heard like, well, Kareem Hunt, I don't know about volume or my favorite over the past two weeks since his return has been, he's good, yeah, but he got lucky on a 60-yard run two weeks ago. Or last week, uh, yeah, his numbers aren't, he's not as efficient as his numbers show because he ripped off a 54-yard run. So that didn't, he didn't really average 5.7 yards. But stop, stop. Last year, Chubb recorded the most breakaway, breakaway runs in the league at 17, that's like one per game, more than one per game. This year, he has over nine, over a six-game period because that is what Nick Chubb does. That is why you drafted Nick Chubb because of talent. This is I'm stealing Andy Barron's whole uh, monic like whole basis for analysis, <laughs> which is talent is this tiebreaker. I watched Andy Barron's and listened to him long enough to know he is absolutely right. And Nick Chubb is freaking talented. He breaks off long runs. That's why you want him. That's why Kevin Stefanski is prioritizing him ahead of Kareem Hunt. And don't talk to me about Kareem Hunt getting opportunities in the red zone. Sure, there's enough here for both both running backs to eat. Jacksonville has allowed the ninth most, uh, I'm sorry, they've allowed nine rushing scores to the running back position on the ground and two running back two touchdowns to running backs via the air. Both of these quarter both of these running backs can find the end zone in week 12. I'm not worried about it. Man, uh, you just hit on something there that is actually like I think my biggest pet peeve in fantasy analysis, which is which is folks who will like look at a player and say, "Well, if you throw out like all right. of the big plays. If we throw out all these 50 plus yard plays, then look at what his uh, yards per carry average is or whatever. Like you can't do that. Like you literally can't do that in in part because some of these guys are just like game breakers and like that is part of who they are as is the case with Nick Chubb. The other part is like in the run game, you script a lot of stuff so you can set up an opportunity for like a 40, 50 yard gain, right? Like that, that is by design. It's not accidental. It's not random. It is the literal design of the running game to hopefully set up an opportunity for a huge splash play like that. And so you can't discount them when they happen. And we're on the same, we're on the same page then. Uh, let's talk about, oh, the Giants at Cincinnati. This is a little bit of a, I feel like my energy just dipped a little uh. bit when we're going to talk about this matchup. <laughs> But you, there is, we can always find stuff to, I, every night with my kids, we do gratitudes. Everybody has to do three gratitudes, new ones each day. So there's always an opportunity to find some gratitude. Andy, how did you, what, what digging did you do in this matchup? Yeah, this is, um, I mean, this is tough because it feels like we're, we're just like ambulance chasing here and the Joe Burrow injury is, um, is brutal, right? It was, is horrible to watch. Um, it's terrible for the franchise. Obviously he can come back, have a long career. He's a great player and all that. And the Giants defense is pretty good. Like things aren't things aren't great for the Giants necessarily, mm-hmm. but that defense is like number six against the run. They have 25 sacks on the year. They have eight picks on the year. And all of those numbers are going to look a whole lot better. I think it's entirely in play for them to finish as the overall number one defense and special teams this week in fantasy. So I, I think they're actually in a in a week that isn't great in terms of waiver claims. I, I think they're probably my my top waiver priority. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the matchup is great. And I think I have them. We just we just did our rankings. I have them in my top five this week, which I was surprised by when I was looking at them. But, yeah. but you know, that is a, it's a great observation to make. I want to talk about the Giants offense. And listen, I understand that it's hard to get 
excited about a running back attached to a less than lit offense and running behind <laughs> this uh, this run blocking unit. But Wayne Gallman, I'm a little bit triggered by Wayne Gallman because he reminds me of the underappreciated, sassy, very cute and funny best friend in every single romantic comedy, right? The one who's been there <laughs> underneath the lead's nose all this time. Maybe I identify with that role. Maybe I went to college at a place where smart guys happen to like funny girls. But um, <laughs> I feel like Wayne Gallman is freaking Rachel Lee Cook, man. Like, take the glasses off. Put him in some fitted leggings and you have a reasonable <laughs> backup to Saquon Barkley. Fun fact, last year when Saquon Barkley was initially out before being rushed back onto the field unnecessarily, uh, Wayne Gallman rolled up 100 yards and then he was concussed the next week. And so I guess we're going to hold him, hold like a concussion against him. The Giants have gone through all of these like s gymnastics to find a backup or insurance behind Saquon Barkley. And oh, lo and behold, Wayne Gallman is managing a dominator rating of plus 10.4. That's top 24, so RB2 level. He's also like a powerful thing. Did you, did you watch the clip of him scoring against the Bucks? I mean, the leg drive, I'm surprised there weren't like foot marks left in the turf because he just basically <laughs> dug his burrowed his way in. He's He's forced his way into the end zone five times over his last four games. We've talked about them. I mean, the Bengals, this is not great. The matchup is completely soft and exploitable and a little bit mean. But if anybody is allowed to be mean, it is Wayne Gallman because that sassy best friend gets his, her time. There you go. <laughs> Man, you're not going to get, like, I feel like we should keep analysis like that behind a paywall. You're just not going to get Wayne Gallman in the leggings um, anywhere else. That was, that was solid. <laughs> 83 total yards and a touchdown. That's my, I wasn't even asked to do a fearless forecast and I did one. <laughs> <laughs> Panthers and Vikings talk to me about how we're not going to talk about Dalvin Cook, but let's not anyway, because it's too obvious. Yeah. Um, Dalvin Cook, a pretty fair start. I guess you could go ahead and start the guy who leads the NFL in uh, per game rushing yards, uh, yards from scrimmage and uh, touchdowns. He seems he seems like a pretty fair play here. Um, I want to talk about Curtis Samuel because I am legitimately thankful for this guy. Um, I, I actually in across three different leagues, I picked him up several weeks ago when he was widely available. Um, and it wasn't even like I don't know. The process was okay, but I didn't get exactly the result I was looking for, right? Like he was he had a start against Atlanta and I'm like, "Oh, Atlanta, um even a even a number 3 receiver like like Curtis Samuel can can rip through uh the Falcon secondary." And he didn't actually have much of a game as a receiver, but the I mean, the guy's getting like 3-4 carries a game, scored as a scored as a rusher. Um he's just been like a touchdown machine over the last five games or so he's coming off a 10 target game 70 receiving yards had a touchdown in that one he has he has touchdowns like consistently now as a rusher or receiver in his la again in his last five he's been great there's going to be volume against minnesota we know that's a soft defense um and a poor secondary um i'm i'm excited for teddy bridgewater in this one i'm just like curtis samuel now having volume and having a role as a as a runner has just been a terrific thing i, th I think he's a pretty solid wide receiver too well and he's in very scheme friendly opportunities every week mm -hmm. La last the week before last notwithstanding uh because i i have him in a couple of places and 
maybe made a little bit of a couple of errors regardless. Um, I think I, I love that call. I mean, it's not always he's Curtis Samuel's production is not always going to end up the way you thought it would, but you know that there are enough opportunities there that there should be some sort of production. And I think that that's what you're, what you're leaning towards. Um, I, yeah, he's got that Robert Woods thing where they, where they find ways to just like scheme in the scheme in the ball, you know, uh, uh, gadgety ways to, to get the ball in his hand. So instead of like eight opportunities, it turns into 11, 12 opportunities. Well, he's being used under Matt Royal, similarly to the way he was used in college, which was very effective and then forgotten about. And now you have a college coach, let's be honest, returning yeah. to those roots and and pulling out of him what we were all excited about when he was initially drafted. So um, who am I grateful for? Oh, I'm grateful for BC Johnson for getting the damn, for getting out of the way so that we could have some Justin Jefferson time. <laughs> Thank you. Do you remember that? Do you, it feels like years ago. Remember over the summer that was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. BC Johnson's the team's number two. I don't know. Justin Jefferson was on the COVID list. He's really lost those pressured reps. Stop again. Talent is the tiebreaker. Justin Jefferson is top six in completed air yards and top eight in yards after the catch. He's recorded seven receptions over 20 yards in his last three games. I mentioned that in particular in particular because the Carolina defense has allowed the fourth most catches over 20 yards. So we love how these uh we love the mismatch here between Justin's skill set and what they are lacking in Carolina. Um, by the way, the fourth most plays or, or receptions over 20 yards, that's just behind, if you really like think about it, that's behind Seattle, Atlanta, and Cincinnati. So then when we think about what Justin Jefferson is doing week in and week out, we are very excited. And of course, we should mention that Adam Thielen is on the COVID list right now when we're recording on Tuesday, not because he's tested positive, but because he's had close contacts, uh, close contact. So he has time to test off of the list. All right. Um, let's move on to the Cardinals at the, uh, the Cardinals at the Patriots here. I, I stumbled because I'm, I'm thinking about these two quarterbacks immediately and um, was sort of starting to daydream a little bit. Andy, <laughs> talk to me about him. <laughs> yeah, well, there there is the thing that I'm most thankful for yeah. here, I, I suppose. These guys in 19 combined games have 19 rushing touchdowns. Um, this is crazy. They're, they're probably both going to finish the season like one, two on the all-time single season list in um, rushing TDs by a quarterback. Um, this just keeps rolling. And I, I guess if I'm if I'm to pick one thing that I am most thankful for here, it's that it's that Cam Newton is starting to look a little bit more like vintage Cam again, or at least the version of Cam that we were seeing at the beginning of the season. Um, he had a couple of just miserable games when he came off the COVID list, and I don't think it's unreasonable to actually attribute that to, you know, whatever, post-illness sluggishness, yep. right? We've seen that with athletes across multiple sports. It's It's been a thing. It was a thing in baseball. It was a thing in the NBA. It's it's sure seems like it was a thing with Cam. He's coming off a 300-yard game. Um, he's found at least a little something in Jacoby Myers. There's somebody for him to throw to. We're going to get James White back on the field now as a, as a receiving threat. So I think Cam... Um, just sort of ramping back up, getting back uh, into into being fundamentally the player that, uh, that that he was at the start of the season is a really exciting development. I think he's now he's totally usable in fantasy again moving forward because there's you know before he always had the the rushing upside right like you get a rushing touchdown from Cam in any given week they love to run him at the goal line he's virtually unstoppable but um, as a passer for a little while there he like 
Was he going to hit 200 yards? Probably not. Um, but but now, again, better receiving core. Um, he's looking better, smoother. Um, it seems like he's he's just processing quicker. So really happy to see Cam um, make it back to fantasy relevance. I love that take. And we also know that the Patriots are notorious slow starters. I don't think anyone expected them to start this slow. And I think you're right to bring up the fact that COVID probably derailed the evolution process of this non-Tom Brady era in New England. But we are seeing him, especially, you know, in in situations where you have to chase points, Cam is um, finding receivers, right? This this week it was Demir Bird. It's traditionally, at least over the past few weeks, been – uh, Jacoby Myers, you're also seeing, I mean, like, like, I don't think Nikhil Harry is it, but he's still getting those opportunities. He's still seeing, at least he was last week. And admittedly the matchup was friendly, um, inflated targets. I am grateful for James White to that end because in a receiving core that didn't project to have a lot of depth, we are finding that these, these versatile running back, these pass catching running backs, do offer depth to this squad. And Rex Burkhead, obviously, out with this ACL, and he had been trucking for a minute there. My God. And now James White, who had sort of fallen out of favor, and whether that was just, you know, he obviously missed some time at the top of the season because of a personal tragedy. And you don't know what these players are going through on the regular, but now, again, without Julian Edelman being there, there's an opportunity for James White to step in as that security blanket. Kind of like you you were saying, right, uh, Andy, all of the analysis that we had for Cam at the top of the season can now be put back into place. And now I feel like James White has an opportunity because of volume and because of the need to move the chains and not just thrive on, especially in this matchup, which you have to imagine is going to be pretty fast-paced, right? There's going to be a lot of check-down yep. opportunities here. And James White, even though on paper you're looking like, well, this isn't really a great matchup against Arizona, but they have allowed, I believe, two touchdowns to running backs via the air. And in PPR-friendly formats, now James White has that, you know, low-end, uh, that RB3 sort of top 30, top 35 um appeal to him. Yeah, that, I mean, that is what you look for when you when you roster James White, you're, you're looking for opportunities for like negative game script and places where they're just going to have to chase points. And it's probably not going to be a Damian Harris week, right? Because right. that goodness knows they never throw to him. Um, it is probably going to be a James White week. Like if there's if there's going to be a spot here where he can catch eight passes, this is this is probably it. Talk to me about the Dolphins at Jets. This is another uh, Adam Gase revenge spot i suppose (laughs) i suppose i am just i am just happy that joe like it's it's weird to i don't know praise joe flacco right but the jets offense has been functional it has been supporting some viable fantasy starters and i am just sort of happy and i love jameson crowder like he's he's been one of my guys for several seasons i think he's uh generally been an underrated fantasy commodity but I also don't think that an offense should be based entirely around Jamison Crowder, which is often what it looked like when Sam Darnold was at the controls, right? Like Crowder getting 13, 14 targets. I am pretty happy that Joe Flacco has freed us from the tyranny of Jamison Crowder. He is throwing <laughs> to his outside receivers. We're seeing Brashad Perriman, who's good, um, took him a while. Um, Flacco has a history with him, right? Like Brashad Perriman has scored three touchdowns in the last couple games. Denzel Mims now seeing like eight targets a game, really physically talented rookie receiver. Um, 
another guy the Packers passed on, right? Like another one of those like really talented uh, rookie wideouts that was that was available early, part of this incredible rookie wideout class. Um, and he's finally getting work. And it, like they're a functional offense now. They've scored 50 plus points over the last two games. So we're we're kind of coming out of the period where the Jets were, you know, you knew what you were going to get. They were going to score 10 points. 13 points. And, you know, if you're in a deep league, maybe you had to think about who was going to score the Jets' lone offensive touchdown, but now they're a real offense. It's been fun to see. Well, that's going to be uh, Frank Gore this week, so don't, don't get too ahead of yourself. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, so alive. No LaMichael P. Ryan. He's dealing with a high ankle sprain. And I love that you brought up Denzel Mims. He was, um, I had him uh, in my top five rookies heading into the draft before he landed in New York. Um, you also have to imagine that this is a good sneaky week for him when you think about the coverage, right? Because Brashad Perriman's likely, likely to draw a lot of Byron Jones. That's a tougher matchup. And so then Mims becomes the all, and he's an ultra physical wide receiver. And I, I like that in this matchup with this Brian Flores defense. So, um, I, I like that you mentioned him. I'm going to talk about Miami for a second because we do not need to spend a whole lot of time on the Jets. But I'm grateful for Salvan Ahmed. I, I love his story. I love that he ran behind Miles Gaskin yeah. at college and then he leapfrogged him here. And we don't know if Gaskin is going to be back yet. You know, it, that, that isn't clear at this point of the week yet. But I do think that it's telling People will say, like, oh, Ahmed wasn't particularly efficient last week. No, he, no, he wasn't at Denver. Also, like, Denver has a pretty good run defense. But he also he retained that volume even though he left the game with a shoulder injury and returned, which I think is telling of his, like, power and ability in general. But also, he was on the field for 43 snaps. Matt Burita only logged seven, so we don't have to worry about Matt Burita coming in to snipe anything. That seems like Burita is a far away number two, and the the emphasis is on Ahmed, and he's also being buoyed with work in the passing game, which is such a relief. I mean, that is why we like these versatile running backs, because what they can offer you through catching the ball I mean he was uh tied for second in team looks with six the matchup is solid obviously here against the Jets so I think Gaskin is, a, is an RB2 again this week I'm sorry I think that Ahmed is an RB2 again this week and that's the way it's going to remain until Gaskin returns yeah I agree with that and I, I wouldn't rank Ahmed any differently than I would rank Miles Gaskin like a fully healthy Miles Gaskin coming into this game Ahmed has looked solid we wanted to say thanks again to our sponsor for this episode, Planters. When you want to satisfy a salty craving, Planters has you covered. Their deluxe mixed nuts are roasted to perfection and seasoned with sea salt, giving you the crunchy texture and enhanced flavor you crave. Stay satisfied with Planters Deluxe Mixed Nuts. Andy, I kind of wish we had had a side pod. We're not like allowed to do that, but I kind of wish we had had a side pod um, <laughs> on t today, on Tuesday, about the Monday night game because I have I have lots of feelings. I actually rewatched the fourth quarter this morning before I started working on this outline. Um, so I'm interested to hear because we're going to talk about the Bucks in this Chiefs matchup. What you're grateful for and what you were able to glean out of Week 11. I am, yeah. As you as you say, this is this is only the day after, and I am still processing that bizarre play where Tom Brady had the ball batted back to him, caught it, and and that's usually where that play ends. But no, Tom Brady mysteriously, like maybe the first quarterback in history, decides, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw shit again. I'm gonna throw again downfield. Like he, 
This this dude had two pass attempts, uh, like two completions on one pass attempt. I've never seen it. Um, I think the way that it was officially scored was a reception from Mike Evans because uh, there was obviously there was an illegal forward pass penalty. They declined it. It was fourth down, like crazy play. I'm still processing it. I still don't know what to think of it. I can't believe that um, it wasn't a loss of down. I, I don't know. It feels like we need to revisit the rule book after that play. But this is a this is a wild digression. I will tell you that what I'm most happy for uh, in this game and this to me, again, one of those like just start the stars games. Um, there's not a lot to there's not a lot to fret about here. Um, I, I was, I, you know, it's easy to get lost in the numbers that Patrick Mahomes produces, right? Um, I was looking at his season a bit today, uh, considering it in, in terms of the MVP race and whatnot. And he is just right now, just for fun, let's throw this out there. He is on pace for 4,860 passing Woo! yards, 43 passing touchdowns and four interceptions. Um, do you know, I'll just tell you, do you know how many seasons there have been in NFL history in which a quarterback has thrown more than 40 touchdown passes and less than five interceptions? The answer is never none, zero. It has never happened. And Patrick Mahomes is well on his way to doing it. The only guys I want to say that have gone 40 touchdowns and less than 10 interceptions are Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. And that's the damn list. And if you put yourself on a list like that, you're, you're, you're pretty good. I love a podcast and I know I'm doing my job well when I can get Andy Barron's to swear like one and a half times <laughs> in a take. That is pure money. So I am, that's, can I just move forward and say that that's what I'm grateful for? Um, <laughs> I love the take. He's football Jesus. I know we talked up Derek Carr in the Raiders matchup and how he had, uh, or maybe I didn't even mention this, but by the way, Derek Carr average yards per attempt, average more yards per attempt than Patrick Mahomes in week 11. It doesn't matter because Patrick Mahomes can do all the things. He has all of the weapons. It's absolute money. Mind blow. I don't even think there's a passing of a torch here because they're such different quarterbacks. But yes, I love that you made it up. And I, I love that you're mentioning that even more. And I want to talk about Mike Evans because... <sighs> You know, in watching, like, there have been opportunities throughout the season where I have put Mike Evans on a bus list. And I was right, by the way, because he and Lattimore have history and Lattimore has his number. And that is an opportunity and situation only when I will downgrade Mike Evans because Lattimore and Jalen Ramsey ain't the same thing. I am so tired of the like, well, he's not seeing a lot. No, he's not seeing a lot of volume. You're absolutely right. And you know who else is pissed when he's not seeing volume? His damn coach. So much so that he will publicly <laughs> throw shade at Tom Brady when it doesn't happen. This is a case of quality over quantity. I don't know how you can watch Sunday night, uh, what night was it? Monday night's game and not see Mike Evans out body everybody. I know Jalen Ramsey wasn't covering, it was Troy Hill and when he scored the touchdown. But still, if you watch him battle Jalen Ramsey out body every single cornerback except for Marshawn Lattimore in the damn league and still have reservations about starting him, you don't find another hobby. This ain't it for you. <laughs> yes, he's averaging four catches per game. He's also got nine damn touchdowns on the season. For reference, that's one less than Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. Again, oh. Bruce Arians says, stop it, Tom. I don't care. Tom Brady wants to throw all day to Antonio Brown and let him be the little chain mover. That's fine. But you know who's going to get it in the end zone? It's Mike Evans because of his <laughs> catch radius, and I'm tired of it. <laughs> I am ready, by the way, for the for the documentary that has to come out after after Tom Brady retires. I am ready for the documentary about the Bruce Arians Tom Brady relationship because this is like 
It's like four times this season that Bruce Arians has has thrown not not just shade, but like not very subtle shade at, at Tom Brady in postgame comments. It's amazing. Bruce Arians is basically Danny Glover in Die Hard every week, just exasperated saying I'm too old for this. I, I, I am enjoying the theatrics, frankly. Also, just as a side note, I know our producer's probably anxious because we're like talking more and he's got a bunch of shows to do early in the week. But how long until Antonio Brown is no longer satisfied being just a chain mover and like when he was in Pittsburgh, starts just improing on the field so that he can get the high value targets? Yeah, well, if they're not winning um, this week, I don't know. Could could happen this week, right? Like if if they lose a couple games in a row and it's not a winning environment, yeah. um, it's going to happen real soon. You know, he wants to have that. He wants the touchdowns. Like this is not a Le'Veon Bell situation where he's like, "Listen, I just don't want to. I just don't want yeah. the chaos." It's, <laughs> it's the opposite of that. All right, let's talk about the 49ers at the division rival Rams. Um, I'm still not grateful for Jared Goff. I don't care what anybody says, but I hear there's a tight end in in San Francisco that you're <laughs> grateful for. Yeah, um, I guess I, I this would be a case where I have a fairly low level of gratitude because um, I'm still miserable that we're not going to get to see uh, the finish to George Kittle's season. Um, obviously, w- one of the one of the brightest talents in the NFL, but Jordan Reed is back, and when Jordan Reed is healthy, um, he's kind of a thing. Uh, he's coming off a game in which he saw six targets, had over 60 receiving yards, had one of the catches of the week before the bye, that crazy one-hander that he pulled in. Um, he is a serious talent, and th- like this is a pretty thin receiving core. He- he's going to get a lot of looks. Tight end is a miserable position, has been a minefield all year. Um, I-, I think it's entirely plausible that Jordan Reed finishes up like from this point forward as a top 10 top eight fantasy tight end week 12 is all about rolling it back to formerly great tight ends that's a tease to my <laughs> bold prediction I'm with you 100% Andy I I'm grateful for Robert Woods I think I am so tired of Cooper yeah Cooper Cup's super handsome he's got the blonde hair and he's the but I love Robert like I love Robert Woods really really get excited for Robert Woods. Cup gets all the glory, but Woods is a damn hero. Like, his versatility doesn't get nearly enough shine. We have seen him previous to this year. Like, think about the evolution of Robert Woods as a wide receiver. We've seen him in Los Angeles move from the outside into the slot and smash. Okay, that we've seen him throw his body in harm's way as a damn blocker. Okay, fine. Now we're seeing him get these backfield touches. We are seeing him not just not just take handoffs out of the backfield, but take handoffs and then weave his way through traffic against a top-rated defense and still time out it perfectly so that Matt Gay has enough time to score a field goal. Like, all of it is wonderful. I am I, I, I understand that Goff and Cup have this, like, rapport, and Goff has eyes for Cup in the end zone. I'm done ranking cup ahead of Robert Woods because Robert Woods' <laughs> versatility offers more stability in an offense that on the regular, maybe not last week, but regularly speaking, consistently speaking, wants to focus on the run game. One of the nice things with the Rams is we don't really have to choose between uh, between Cup and Woods because it's a pretty narrow usage tree, right? They throw to like they throw to like three guys essentially. One of them being like the combo tight end position. Reynolds a little bit, but um, but Cup and Woods always in line for a bunch of volume. And I agree with you on Woods; he's been phenomenal. 
It is a little bit frustrating, though. I mean, this is the genius, if I'm grateful for something else, of Sean McVay's, his creativity in a spot like this where he looked at his running backs, and all three of them, and was like, I don't think we can beat Tampa Bay on the ground. So we did scheme up some beautiful opportunities for, like, Van Jefferson, obviously, and Cam Akers found the end zone through the air. And so there are options in Los Angeles, but you don't have to always lean on those options because, as you're saying, Cup and Woods offer so much consistency and stability. The Saints are traveling to Mile High uh, to take on the Fighting Drew Locks. <laughs> I am, uh, like, the thing that I am most thankful for here is that I have at least a couple of shares of Taysom Hill. He's been like that was fun. Um, that was really fun. We we knew that the Saints offense was going to change, right? It couldn't just be a bunch of four and five yard passes as it was under Drew Brees. And as we saw a little bit with Jameis Winston for a half, um, totally different with Taysom Hill. Uh, first of all, he had, he had 10 carries. We knew we knew there was going to be a rushing component to his game. Um, a couple of just I don't, I don't know how you stop him rushing touchdowns. Right. Um, re- really gifted runner, really gifted athlete. And then he was fine. He, he sort of passed the test as a, a as an actual passer. Um, it didn't always look great. Right. There were some there were some weird underthrows um, that got completed nonetheless. But he was like end of the day. He's 18 for 23. And it wasn't just a bunch. Now, this may be a problem if you uh, if you've got Kamara on a roster, Alvin Kamara playing through an injury, only saw one target. Almost everything went to the wide receivers, like 17 targets um, for Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders combined. So we're just seeing a little bit different passing game. Hill, again, a terrific dual threat quarterback. It's kind of a neutral matchup this week, but next week it's Atlanta again. And then it's Philly. And we don't know, like, we don't know when Drew Brees is coming back. They're still saying, you know, there have been reports that maybe he can be back by week 15. Um, his injuries are horrific. Collapsed lung. And he's got, like, Lemon. I don't know, by the time we finish this pot. Yeah, by the time we finish this pot, he's going to have more rib fractures. Every time I check Twitter, he's got more rib fractures. It's his Drew Brees rib fractures are like Saturn's moons, right? Every time they look, <laughs> they find like six more. Um, so like, I don't know when Breeze is coming back, um, but no way it's going to be week 15, right? So we're going to get a long look at Taysom Hill. And the first look we had was really fun. Oh, Saturn's moon. That's a casket emoji (laughs) for me. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, I, Taysom Hill, I I felt like it didn't, it wasn't until the second half until, uh, Sean, uh, until Sean Payton started to get a little bit creative. I wasn't as enthralled by the effort as you clearly were, but I will say that I will be more interested to see how he does versus this Broncos secondary, which is what I am thankful for. You mentioned Kamara's foot issue and the passing game that he was able to put together. It was effective. I mean, you you know, it, Michael Thomas seemed to come back to life despite staring at his hands in the first quarter saying, like, how am I, how is this happening to me? <laughs> um but I do think that the Broncos secondary has been underrated because they haven't really been healthy. A.J. Bouye has missed a ton of time, mm. and he's an excellent player. He's back. Bryce Callahan, <laughs> this one stings a little bit, right, Andy? Uh, former Bear Bryce Callahan <laughs> has yet to give up a touchdown in coverage yet this year. And I do think Bouye, you know, got a little bit, I don't blame him for, he got, he got tricked by Devontae Parker's toes. That was a very close call. He was surprised. I think when we looked at the replay on Parker's touchdown last week, I was surprised. So this this secondary, these two cornerbacks are quite good. 
I have to imagine that it is going to be tougher than, you know, obviously you can't guard Mike and Mike Thomas has an advantage, but if we don't have a passer as sterling and accurate as Drew Brees, now we're going to have to see some more creativity out of Sean Payton. And that is what I guess I am ultimately grateful for, but I am grateful for this Denver secondary being bad, good enough to make that maybe come to fruition. Yeah, you know, Den- I've I've been looking at Denver as a as a DFS play because they're I think they're minimum priced uh, as a defense. I think they're like a ten dollar defense. And uh, like as as excited as I am about Taysom Hill, it's it's not like I don't think Taysom Hill will give you the ball occasionally. Okay, um, the Sunday night game. <laughs> <laughs> I just I love that the Bears are out in prime time again. Like you're welcome, America. Um. My God, I, like I can't believe this is happening again. They Another also, showcase game for our Bears at Green Bay. Like this, this isn't. I have a feeling this isn't going to be like the Thanksgiving what three years ago when they pulled off one of three wins on the season, but it was the upset of the year and everybody was just thrilled because it happened on Thanksgiving versus the Packers uh, in Green Bay. Wasn't that like three years ago? Am I remembering the passage of time correctly? I think you know which game I'm talking about. <laughs> I think so. I right. think so. Time uh, moves differently now. <laughs> um, but. Talk to me about, <laughs> and neither of us are grateful for anything on the damn bears. So what about the Packers? Hell no. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm moderately interested in Robert Tunyon. Uh, he returned to the end zone last week. That was good to see. Caught all five of his targets. Obviously, uh, Aaron Rodgers' targets are of the highest quality. So a little bit of volume there. And the Bears defense, while like really good, um, you know, like like they're just wasting a really good and really talented defense, obviously. Um, it has been solid, but they have been somewhat vulnerable to opposing tight ends. Um, six touchdowns by tight ends against the Bears so far. And it's not like it's some parade of stars scoring them either. It's not like Travis Kelsey has three or something like that. It's like Moali Cox, Hawkinson has one. You know, it's just been been straight. Involved. Been, uh, Involved yeah, end. yeah. It's been it's been like six different guys. So it's almost every week. So I'm going to be surprised if we don't see Robert Tunyon find the end zone in this one again, I think. And he's somebody who entering the week was available in about 60 percent of Yahoo League. So a lot of you can go out and add him. I like that pick as well. I'm going to talk about the Green Bay defense as a stream or as a buy in DFS. They're only $14 and we don't really right now know who's going to start at quarterback. I don't think it matters. Also, for the Bears, you've either got Nick Foles or Mitchell Trubisky. They both have injuries. Who's the third guy? What's his name again? Uh, Bray. Tyler Bray. Oh, okay. Or it could be that guy if, if everybody's too banged up. So heavy things. <laughs> they brought in Deshaun Kaiser, I think, for a workout too. Oh, wait. Deshaun Kaiser out of Notre Dame. Didn't he briefly back up Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That yep. one in the same. Well, that would be fun. Actually, I'd be excited to see Deshaun Kaiser in a revenge spot. <laughs> okay. Let's do. I'd be grateful for that if I'm if I'm moving into the future. So I think you you look at the Green Bay defense and you're like, okay, well we know what Mike Patton isn't evolving this defense. We know we can run against them, but David Montgomery, we don't know his availability. Like I'm assuming he'll clear the concussion protocol, but we don't know for sure. It ain't Ryan Nall season, according to last week's touches. Porterell <laughs> Patterson is the team's RB two. Tariq Cohen's been on IR for, you know, he's done for the year. So um, I think this is an opportunity where if you are looking to throw a dart at a defense or you're looking for a buy, then Green Bay becomes a viable stream because of the lack of talent um, uh, on the other team. 
Yeah, uh, I wish I could dispute that, but I cannot. Um, there's no way the Bears are getting through this game without two, maybe three turnovers. All right, let's finish strong with Seattle at womp womp Philadelphia. Battle of the Birds here. <laughs> the shout out to the NFC East, where every team now has three wins and every win is so precious. Um, and Philadelphia is not going to get one here. I am actually moderately grateful because I have Carson Wentz in uh, a handful of Superflex leagues. I am grateful, first of all, that he somehow has not yet lost his job despite leading the NFL in um, time sacked. I believe he's been sacked 40 times. He leads the NFL in interceptions and he leads the NFL in fumbles lost. Um, This is a triple crown that is rare. Uh, It was last achieved by Blake Bortles. I believe before that you have to go back to Dave Craig. Like it doesn't happen very often. And Carson Wentz has it in his sights. And despite all of that, he's actually in some scoring formats like the QB 12. Um, he's, he's been fine. And a lot of that is just like garbage time. Carson Wentz. Um, he has been, he has been weirdly good in like the final two minutes of games that are already lost, right? Like he's a, did it last week, put up a late touchdown. Um, he has like five rushing scores on the year. He has touchdowns in, uh, places and times that they don't really matter in real life, but they all count in fantasy. And so, that's been okay. Uh, this receiving core getting a little healthier. Um, Jalen Rager now seeing six targets or so a week. That's kind of fun. Obviously, Philadelphia is is almost certainly going to get stomped in this game, but it's Seattle, and they give up a ton of passing yards, like 350-plus on the season. So it's not a bad spot for Wentz. Wentz has had a lot of blow-up spots in which he has not blown up this season, and yet somehow he has cobbled together a useful enough fantasy year. I looked at the these matchups and I thought to myself, is Andy Barron's actually going to do it? Is he going to is he going to talk up Carson Wentz? Has he not learned his lesson throughout the season? And you know what? I'm grateful that you're staying consistent. But also, <laughs> yeah, I will say I'm locked in on that position, man. Yep. <laughs> but also, at least um at least at least like adding some nuance that's like it's going to come in garbage time like don't don't watch the first three quarters of the game don't put yourself through that misery or pain just know that in the in the game's final moments he'll either throw or probably both a a, a pick uh, he'll he'll target Travis Fulgham in triple coverage that won't actually happen (laughs) but then he'll run it in for a touchdown so ah woosa um I'm grateful that Chris Carson is going to make his return for Seattle. I think that Chris Carson and his particular running style, we've talked about this over the past few weeks, that like, you know, when you think about Seattle, you think obviously about beast mode and Marshawn Lynch and seismic activity. And Chris Carson could have been faded by Pete Carroll plenty of times. He could have cited his durability issues that frankly date all the way back to college. He could have cited plenty of things that would have allowed him to pull back on Carson's usage. And yet he doesn't. And I think that's because it Carson's running style and frankly presence on the field is so indicative of this team's identity and what it needs to fully fly. Yes, Russell can cook, but if you notice without Carson in the lineup, it's been harder for him to saute anything. And so I think that this, his return now, especially um, at Philadelphia, just allows this team to kind of get fully back on track. We're not worried. Maybe the some people might say, like, well, the cross-country travel. But no, I think this is an opportunity for this whole offense to get lit again. And Chris Carson, what do we, we, what do we know we're going to get out of him? We know we're going to get 16 carries and three catches minimally, right? 
Who doesn't love that? The Eagles have allowed 10 touchdowns to the running back position. Carson is a top 12 start this week. Fingers crossed he stays healthy. All right, looking ahead to Sunday, we've got to make some nutty predictions thanks to planters. Andy, give me your nuttiest prediction for Sunday's games. I know that this has been a long, hard season if you have been attached to Evan Ingram in fantasy leagues. I've done it myself. It hasn't been great at all times. It hasn't been a receiving clinic this year from Evan Ingram. He has a great matchup this week. Uh, We've talked about it earlier. We love the matchup for the Giants against the Bengals. That defense, Cincinnati's defense, gives up the third most fantasy points to opposing tight ends. Tons of touchdowns throughout the season. Um, This is a great spot for Ingram. And you look back at his last three games, he's got double-digit targets in two of those. Again, we think the Giants' offense is in a really good spot here. I think Ingram is going to be a big part of that. I can see 60, 70, maybe 80 yards and a touchdown in this one. I think he's going to finish as a top-three fantasy tight end. I love top three, Andy. That is a lit prediction. Very, very. Well, there's nutty. only two good ones. <laughs> sure, <fair laughs> um, my prediction is also about the tight end position, and it is Tyler Eifert. Oh, yes. We dig in deep in week 12. Listen, Eifert was legitimately getting peppered at the top of the season before he hurt his neck. And since his week nine return, he's averaged close to five looks per contest with at least one red zone opportunity in back to back games. Probably we're going to see the return of Gardner Minshew in week 12, which will add some stability to the offense and I think actually help the tight end position because you won't have Luton trying to push the ball deep every single every single play. So I think that'll add some balance to the offense, also allowing Tyler Eifert to be targeted at a high level. And you mentioned Andy Cincinnati giving up the third most fantasy points to the tight end position. Well, the Cleveland Browns are giving up the second most fantasy points to the tight end position. They let both Dallas Goddard and Richard Rodgers into the end zone in week 11. So that is my nutty Tyler Eifert prediction. Woo! We did get nutty. It's the holiday holiday air. It's the turkey I don't, it's turkey roasted, smoked. I don't know. It's the turkey being being, <laughs> being delivered from Jones on third. Um, what can you say? <laughs> We're a bit nuts. Thanks to planters. And we remind you at home or wherever you are, stay satisfied with planters. All right, Andy, this is a crazy week. What, what stuff do you have to plug? How's it being rolled out? Oh, I don't know if I have anything to plug this podcast. Please listen to this podcast. Um, I'm excited for that. Um, you guys always want to catch my uh, my bold predictions in print because those have been uh, on fire basically all year. Have I even missed one yet? I don't think so. Um, so check out that collaborative feature as well. Amazing. I will say, everyone, <laughs> check out our rankings this week because this is a holiday week. Yeah. We will be tweaking. But if you have like a bajillion, like we're not going to set your lineups this week. This is not the week where you send us screenshots of your teams. We do have rankings that are posted. So you, those can help answer some of those questions. But we will be back on FFL, fully loaded, wearing uh, elastic waistband, waistband pants, which I've been wearing all this <laughs> season anyway, because we're working from home. Um, but we will be back to answer those lineup questions on FFL 90 minutes before kickoff. So check that out. And of course, the podcast, we've got the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles and Therese, the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Wetzel, Thamel, and Forty. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is at Andy Barons. One more thanks to Planters. Week 12 and Thanksgiving is here. We'll talk to you all on Monday.